0: By quick got the handheld I've been fighting a little cold this is my radio voice actually so if you guys like that I'll try to work this out for you every week well let's pray and get right into this father in Jesus name thank you for your presence thank you again that you're the great I am Lord that you love us you care about us you care about our future you care about our eternity lord you really care about how we finish lord you really want us to finish well lord i pray that again and again over myself i pray it over my family i pray it over this church body oh god that we would finish well lord that we would finish the race that is set before us god and that we would Run the race diligently, Lord, in love, in grace, in mercy, Lord, running to you every day. And God, ultimately, I pray that we would finish well. Lord, come today, speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, enlighten the word of God, let it speak to us. And again, Lord, we just thank you for your presence, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm so glad you're here um, again, if you're visiting with us, thanks for coming. Thanks for taking time out of your day to be with us. It's so awesome that you would, uh, would, would join us today. Um, as you can see, the title is, uh, What Do We Do With Sin? I'm going to be getting into that in a little bit, but um, share a little story of when um, our son Taylor was just a little guy, I guess around four years old. Um, it was a church that we went to when I was in the Air Force in Florida, and uh, I probably shared this years ago, but it bears repeating, especially with the, the context today. And, and so, um, church had not gotten over, but they had released the kids from Children's Church, and Athena and some of the moms were in. It's kind of the fellowship hall. It's right attached to the, uh, the, the sanctuary, and they can they can watch the service in there. So, they're trying to keep it down, and... And so it's, it's these moms, and there's some boys there, and, 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 and Athena's there with some of the other moms. She's chatting with them, and some of the boys are just kind of wanting to be boys. You know how it is, and they're, they're, they're roughhousing, and they're starting to wrestle getting into stuff, and, and she sees Taylor kind of gradually moving over toward them, wanting to get, be a part of the action, and uh, so she warns him. She says, Taylor, do not do that you need to come back over here. So he'd come back to mom and, you know, he did this again where, you know, it's, there's some action happening and so he's drawn to it and she tells him again and about three times she tells him to not to do it. Well, then she gets engaged with this other gal in conversation and then she looks and he has just made a beeline. He's in the middle of it now and he's just going for it. And she said, Taylor, what did I tell you? And he just looks at her and says, mom, a man's got to do what a man's got to (laughs) do. four-year-old man We're drawn to sin folks It's a part of our nature. We're born with a sinful nature Paul says all have sinned all means all Have sinned and fallen short of God's standard God's standard is Christ Jesus and unless we can be perfect like Jesus We've all sinned and we fall short of that standard and so we're, we're, we're born with this nature of sin. We're drawn to it. It's in us. That is the story, why we had the story of redemption and salvation, as Jesus came to rescue us from that. But a few weeks ago, we began this series of, that we're going to be spending a, quite a bit of time in about the transformed life, enduring to the end. The whole theme is around how to finish well because God wants us to finish well. And So many don't And We see the the tragic stories around us. Maybe you have relatives friends and um, You see it in the Bible you, you we've talked about it before you see the lineage of kings where there's so many wicked kings There's way more wicked kings than there are godly kings and then some of those horrific stories are some of the good kings where you're you read through the one year Bible and you're like I love this king and he starts out well and he's worshiping God he loves God with all of his heart he's tearing down idols and he gets to the end and he, and he just falls apart and I don't know if you're like me you read that and it's just heartbreaking you're kind of hoping that you'll see a different end of the story at sometimes you like this king and he's doing great things and but the, the this journey that we're talking about is God wants us to finish the race well to be transformed to live the transformed life to become more and more like Jesus Christ and then to become his transform agents to the world around us. Like I said, we're going to be, um, throughout this series, we're going to be hanging in uh, Hebrews 12. And uh, we'll we'll venture out in different directions, but we'll land back there. Hebrews 12 is such a pivotal chapter on uh, in Scripture. Can, it contains a lot of life-changing principles, and so we'll we'll be... Um, in there. In fact, the, this, is the, this is the third part, and we've not left Hebrews 12.1, so that kind of shows you where we're at with that. It's such a powerful and impactful chapter. And so, but this chapter really is a chapter, if you were looking for a chapter of how to walk out the transformed life, how to endure uh, to the end, and how to run the race well, this is a great chapter for that. Last time we talked about uh, this this idea of sin and and what it means to kind of get trapped in sin, and and that's that's what the the, the writer of Hebrews says. One of the reasons why we don't endure is people get tangled up in sin, why people don't finish well. That is one of the reasons, is we get tangled up in sin, and that's why we're commanded by in this passage to cast aside, and we're gonna be talking about what we do with the sin, how we cast it aside, how do we subdue subdue it, how we strip it off. Would that be good for anyone today besides me? I need that, I need that. But people get tangled up in sin. And I shared that funny little story of Taylor, but you know, sin and temptation are all around us. The enemy comes, he tries to lure us into uh, sinful decisions, disobedience to God if it's not just outright rebellion, sometimes it's just a little subtle thing that can lead us into bigger things. And what sin is, and I talked about this last time, is it's not just a matter of don't do this or don't do this, you know, God's manual, don't break the rules or I'm gonna, you know, send lightning bolts down on you, uh, you know, that he's just kind of pacing back and forth, looking throughout the earth, trying to find somebody that he can smack. You know, God's love is so huge. Back, in fact, the, the Old Testament describes him as a God who is slow to anger, rich in love. And so when we talk about this idea of sin and, and God's desire for us to come out of sinful choices, it's because of his love. You will hear me say that again and again. It's because he loves us so deeply. So what what, what does sin do? And again, it's more than just a following list of rules. It's the thing or things in our lives that weigh us down and that keeps us or interferes with God's purpose and destiny for our lives. It's doing things our way instead of his way. And out of his love, he doesn't want us to get trapped in that. Again, Jesus said, John 10, 10, he said, the thief comes to steal Kill and destroy, steal your vision, steal your purpose, steal your destiny, because as God has a plan, so does the enemy, and however the enemy can steal that from you, take it from you, and sometimes he just tempts you and allows you to get off that path in your own, and he just kind of lets you just go with it, but however he can kill, steal, and destroy, destroy you, it doesn't matter to him, he'll, he'll do whatever it takes. And this says, Jesus says the opposite. I have come to give you life. I've come to give you a purpose. I've come to give you a destiny. I've created you for a purpose. So what does that sin do? Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says this. It says the Lord's arm isn't too weak to save us. And then verse 2, it says, in fact, it, it is our sin that separates us from God. And so when we sin, again, it is not just about breaking rules or following rules it's about separating ourselves from god's plan saying guess what i'm gonna do whatever i'm gonna do i'm gonna walk away from your purpose and i'm gonna be in control because ultimately sin all sin is about control i'll do whatever i'm gonna do i mean that's what it boils down to is is we take control from god and we give ourselves control we kick him off the throne if you will and we sit on the throne in our lives and say now I'm the big emperor I'm calling the shots the only problem is God says you're gonna have a really short reign as the emperor because it's not gonna go well for you and that's why he loves us and says put me in charge of your life because I will lead you in the way everlasting I'll give you everlasting life I will give you peace I will give you contentment and there goes the struggle of life Is where we when we grab control that's the sin I'm gonna do this I'm going to make a decision I'm gonna do whatever I want to do and God is saying no I love you give me back control so God loves us but again we shouldn't treat sin as no big deal it is a huge deal and that's why we're gonna talk about it today and the implication that it has in our lives and what happens if we don't get free But we are gonna talk about how how to subdue it, how to to strip it off. So what do we do with sin? Let's go to the main text, Hebrews 12, 1 again. I've got it up there, so if you wanna read along. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off, or strip away, as some, some texts say, strip away, everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and Let us run with perseverance the race that God has set before us So since we're we talked about that cloud of witnesses before and and and, 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 and the writer is talking about Hebrews 11 of all these people that ran the race and we have the Hall of Faith and these people that are from the Word of God broken people the heroes of the faith that we call heroes, but they were ordinary, average, broken down people that needed God. And he said, therefore, since they did it, you can do it. If they had the faith to endure, you can have the faith to endure. Let us strip aside, Since, since, since we have that cloud of witnesses, let's strip aside, let's tear off those sins that easily entangle us. Interestingly, it says this, let us throw off or strip off everything. And then some translation says, the sin and the weight, as if there are two different separate things. I think that there is a distinction here. Because we know what sin is. It is Sin is the disobedience to God, but sometimes we just have weights in our lives. They're not necessarily sinful things. They just interfere and they weigh us down to run the race that God has for us. And sometimes that can be just busyness. And busyness can become a sin, not always. But those things that weigh us down, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that, the weight today, but we're going to be talking about the sin, those things that easily trip us up. And as we talk about this, I encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit, allow the Lord to speak to your own heart. What is he speaking to you about? Because a lot of times we can hear this uh, message on sinfulness and we can think about how this applies to everybody else. It's like I saw oh, so and so's listening to this. What is God speaking to you? Sometimes we define sin as the thing I'm not dealing with, and somebody else is struggling with, or we classify sin as those are the biggies. This is the small one. Well, at least I didn't do that. Well, Jesus came to fulfill the law. What is the law? The, 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 he said you're guilty of all if you commit one small infringement upon the law. You have you've broken the whole law. And so we don't categorize sin we don't look at the biggies versus the small ones and allow god allow the holy spirit to speak your heart what is he pointing out in your life we can't fix others we can only get right with god that's why the word of god says work out your salvation your own salvation with fear and trembling before the lord it's like the, the story i told last time is you know the the uh the Pharisee and, the, and the, the tax collector in the temple, and the Pharisee is, you know, he's got his list before God. Thank you, God, that, I, that I'm so great, is what he was saying. I fast, I give, and I'm not like this guy. And there's two guys in the temple. And I, Thank you, God, that I'm not like him. Well, that's a problem. Because pride is the gateway sin. Pride means I'm in control, pride means look at God, look at all the great stuff I'm doing instead of saying God have mercy on me because that's what the tax collector did. It says he he pounded his chest and said God have mercy on me. That'll get God's attention very quickly. So when David was broken before the Lord after he blew it major, he said broken spirit and a contrite heart God will not despise. If you want to get God's attention, be brokenhearted before God, be humble before God. When you sin and you blow it, run to him. He loves that, that will get his attention. So every sin can be detrimental to our walk with Christ. As I have said before, we're going to remind ourselves about uh, what Romans 11 talks about is considering the the kindness and severity of God. He's very kind, yet that there's a severity side of he's savior and he's judge, he's goodness, but he's also righteousness. And he does not separate the two. He does not leave his righteousness to become good. He is all-encompassing good and righteous at the same time. So we want to behold his kindness and his severity. But even his severity is out of his love. That's why it says the, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. So how do we strip off the sin? What do we do with it? Some of you guys, you'll know uh, th- your battle may be greater than others. Maybe you fought something for many, many years. You've dealt with something and it's been an ongoing issue that you've battled for years and years. Others, you might not even be able to relate to that at all. Maybe some that it's, it's something recent that you've been dealing with and, and, and it's just kind of creeped in or it's been maybe a subtle thing. Some of you guys know sometimes it's just an overt thing that you're do- dealing with and, and, and it's just crippling you. And so we don't want to, I don't want to bring any attention to the enemy, you know, because I don't want to bring glory to, it, to him at all, but we, we do need to be aware of his schemes and his strategies and that he does want to kill, steal, and destroy us. And so he's out there, he's busy, he's doing his thing, and we get hit with it and we're attacked by it, so what do we do with it? Also, do not compare yourself with other people. That's one of the other tricks of the enemy because sometimes it's the sin itself sometimes it's the shame of the sin and the and the condemnation and the guilt of the sin that becomes sin you get that you see the vicious cycle then you never get free then it's well look at so-and-so man they just seem like they have it all together they're free and I'm still dealing with this do not do that that, that that's the enemy's way to discourage you and to keep you bound That's why we have to fix our eyes on Jesus every day. We have to run to him individually and intimately because he loves us. So I want to relook at uh, a story that uh, I had uh, mentioned before, and then I'm going to go into actually another Old Testament story. But from Genesis 4, we have at the very beginning, you know, Cain and Abel. This Old Testament passage where we have so much unfolded, there's so much information here, and and, and you see this conversation that God is having with Cain. So in Genesis 4, God speaks to Cain and he says this, and you know the story is, you know, God God received Abel's offering and he rejected Cain's because Abel's was given out of his heart, out of his first fruits, he gave God his very best. Cain gave out of his, you know, out of his abundance. Here's some extra leftovers for God. I mean, that's a different sermon for a different day, but God God wants our heart. He wants our best. But but he rejects Cain, so Cain is just dejected and he's angry. So God says to him, why are you so dejected? And listen to what he says. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? If you don't do what is right, watch out because sin is at the door. It desires to have you but you must master it and subdue it. This is God talking to Cain. If you do what is right, if you live righteously, you will be accepted. But if you don't, watch out because sin is right at the door. It wants to master you. It wants to take control of your life, and it wants to take you down. And then he says, you have to master it. Cain, you have to master it and subdue it. And the tie here to what the Hebrews writer is, he said, let us us strip off every way. He's saying, let us subdue it. Let us master the sin that wants to easily entangle our feet. Of course, the tragic end of that story is the king goes out and he kills his brother. After an encounter with God, and you'd think with, after an encounter with God, he would have, it would have changed everything. You'd have thought that he would have just fell on his knees and said, oh, what was I thinking? But he went out and he killed his brother. And I said this before, but this sin wants to take you farther than you ever wanted to go. Sin wants you to do things that you thought you would never do. And sin wants to keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. In fact, it wants to keep you there to the point of your, where you die and you end poorly and you die and you leave this world in a bad way and you don't finish well. So I'm going to look at another story and we're going to spend our time here for a few minutes. This is from Genesis chapter 25, if you would like to turn there, Genesis 25. It's the story of Jacob and Esau interestingly just before I read this story in Hebrews 12 and here here is Hebrews 12 and it's this it's this chapter about endurance it's a chapter about finishing well the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 references the story of Jacob and Esau listen to what The writer in Hebrews says about Jacob and Esau this is so we're jumping kind of fast-forwarding in Hebrews 12 here about dealing with the detriments of sin and what it can cost Hebrews 12 14 through 17 here's what he says make every effort I want you to hear this with 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 New ears. make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy without holiness no one can see the Lord see to it that no one falls short of the grace of god and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like esau i mean this the writer is calling him godless for the decision he makes he says who for a single meal sold his inheritance right his birthright as the oldest son afterward as you know When he wanted to inherit this blessing he was rejected even though he sought the blessing with tears he could not change what he had done it's the severe side of his decision now let's go back to Genesis 25 and read what happened verse 24 of Genesis 25 and when the time had come to give birth Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins the first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. Every mom's dream. So they named him Esau, which means hairy, I think. Proper name. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob, which means deceiver. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home, but Rebekah loved Jacob. One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. Of course, then they give us this little, this is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. So it was a hairy red stew. That's that's a thought. Don't think about that too long. Um, Verse 31, all right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Okay, he comes in, he's hungry. Jacob's not just asking for a little request here. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as a firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. And so the the writer of Hebrews references back to this and says, Don't be godless like Esau, who for a bowl of stew gave up his birthright. Do you understand the significance of what Esau gave up? When you read this, do you understand what he's giving up? He's giving up, especially in that culture, is the firstborn got everything. The firstborn got, he was the firstborn son, and the birthright was more valuable than you could even imagine. It was blessings, it was the complete inheritance, it was favor, and the, and the value, the price tag on it was astronomical. And because he was hungry, in a moment in the flesh, he threw his rights as the firstborn under the bus. I'm hungry, I'm starving, He comes in. Jacob, the deceiver, seizes a moment, says, sell your birthright. Give me your birthright. Well, you know, what good is it? I'm just hungry, man. Give me the stew. All right, you can have my birthright. A moment in the flesh, he throws his whole inheritance under the bus. And we can look at that story and we can think to ourselves, how dumb was that? Have you ever read that and said, I'd never do that? be very careful of what we say that we would never do because we see it every day it's just the same thing that we say about the children of Israel you know that they wandered for 40 years where they needed to go was about an 11 day journey by walking and they and God kept them out there wandering around that mountain for 40 years and a lot of times we say well that was just goofy I would never do that But their complaining and their rebellion kept them from inheriting what God had for them. Because, again, the sin of rebellion that the children of Israel had, he had so much for them. He had promises. He had the promised land for them. This is what I promised to you from the very beginning. It's yours. It's your inheritance. And the sin of grumbling and complaining and rebellion kept them wandering. And that whole generation lost it all. It's a sad story, but they lost it all. And we say, well, I'd never do that. And we see it happen all the time. We see moments in the flesh happen all the time where where people lose so much. A moment in the flesh can throw your marriage under the bus. It can destroy a family in a moment it can affect your job it can affect your future it can affect the destiny and promise that god has for you and here we have esau that a moment in the flesh he sells out and he loses it in his entire inheritance now thanks be to god that we are not under the old testament law that we have redemption in christ and his mercies are new every morning And I want you to see, again, the kindness and severity of God that our decisions, our sinful decisions have huge implications. A moment in the flesh can ruin a marriage. It can ruin a family. We see it happen so much. And it's interesting that the writer of Hebrews talks about sexual immorality in light of Esau's sin, because it's those moments in the flesh, and and guys deal with this, and we see it all around us. Ministers that drop like flies, and they have their their they they have the whole world in front of them, and they have so much success, and 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 and, and again, it's not ministers, but I just talk about ministers because they're so in the public spotlight, and just because there's minister, just because they're ministers doesn't mean that they all of a sudden lose the sin nature, and we see it the tragic story that happens so much a moment in the flesh and i throw it all away god help us help us to stay close to jesus so now i want to talk about the essentials to stripping off and subduing the sin as we saw this tragic story as the writer in hebrews talks about it and then we 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 see that and esau in tears later on wanted the inheritance back but it was gone So how do we strip off? How do we subdue the sin? How do we become master? And folks, these are non-negotiable. Again, I'm not gonna give you an exhaustive list of things, but I'm talking about essentials to stripping off sin and walking in freedom. Number one is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. We desperately need fellowship with the Holy Spirit every single day I think a lot of times we can we can treat the Holy Spirit as you know he's, he's he, there's a mystery around him he's mysterious you know we we understand we get God the Father we can kind of You know understand that a little bit and we have kind of a context for that we get Jesus God the son and we you know He came and died and we we get that the Holy Spirit there becomes this mystery around the Holy Spirit There doesn't have to be he's the third person of the Trinity. He is to be exalted and worshiped as God And we need fellowship with him every day A lot of times we pray to God and we pray to Jesus. We can pray to the Holy Spirit. We can ask the Holy Spirit to come in. We can ask the Holy Spirit to give us strength and power. and We can worship him as God. But I wanna look at what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit and then what Paul says about the Holy Spirit in reference to his job description, if you will. And how he promises to help us in this thing in this battle in this walk of christianity and finishing well in in, in in subduing sin so the first passage i want i'm going to look at is john chapter 14. jesus most of us are familiar with at the beginning of john chapter 14 where jesus you know he says i'm the way the truth and the life and i'm you know and he's he's encouraging his disciples and he's saying i'm going away and i'm gonna building a place I'm making a place for you that where I am you may be also we have a great hope now the disciples are dealing with a lot of discouragement at this time because he's talking about leaving and they don't really get everything that he's he's trying to convey but he's gonna be leaving he said that and he says you know don't let your hearts be you know troubled don't be discouraged I go away to you know my, my father's house and we have that promise in the midst of this he gives us the promise of the Holy Spirit I'm going to look at a couple of passages here. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or counselor who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of truth, who leads you into all truth, The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. So I'm going to just break this down just a little bit as he's talking about the Holy Spirit. First of all, he talks about love equals obedience. That, when we hear that he, we're a friend of God, he said, you're my friend if you obey what I say that's why you know when we deal with our kids if they if they understand that they are loved they follow the rules a little bit easier I'm not saying that they're jumping up and down about it but relationship helps the rules doesn't it and that's where Jesus is first of all saying you know love equals obedience obey me because you love me don't obey me because you know I'm, 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 I'm gonna smack you if you don't understand my intense love for you and help that be a place of obedience Then he talks about sending the advocate or the counselor or the helper. The description of the Holy Spirit is one who comes alongside you. The Greek word is paraclete, not parakeet, paraclete. It's one who comes alongside you. And his promise is he'll be your helper, your advocate, your counselor. He'll be the one that he says, I will not leave you as orphans. So this, he said, the Holy Spirit will be your counselor, comforter. He'll be your friend. He'll be the one that when you feel alone, you can honestly say, I'm not really alone. Because the Holy Spirit's there. He is the the, the helper. Because if we really believed in the power of the Holy Spirit, we should rarely ever feel alone. Because that's the promise of Jesus. He said it's, you know, in a minute I'm going to talk about where he said it's good that I go away. Because he said the Holy Spirit's with you. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is always with us. And we have his power in us. Turn to John 16. He gets more specific about who the Holy Spirit is. And this is what Jesus is saying about the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 of John 16. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me. So he's going back to the Father. And not one of you is asking me where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because I've told you And again, they're dealing with some hard stuff here. Jesus said, I'm leaving. They're just sad that he's going. But in fact, it is better for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the helper, the counselor, the one who will come alongside you, he won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, listen to what Jesus says about him. He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There's so much more I want to tell you but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth, he calls him that again, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory, Jesus is saying, by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine, and this is why I said the Spirit will tell you what he receives from me. So what he's saying is if I don't go, the advocate, the helper, the counselor, the teacher, the comforter, these are all descriptive words of the Holy Spirit won't come. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. In these passages, here we have the chief purposes of the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' description of who the Holy Spirit and what he will do. His chief purpose is to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment, be our helper, our counselor, our teacher, our comforter, and the one who will never leave us alone. Jesus also says this about him. He will be the one who will testify of and guide us to the truth. So who's the truth? Jesus. The Spirit will testify of Jesus. He points us to Jesus. He testifies of Jesus. So here's what he does. He empowers and enables us to live a godly life through our relationship with him. You see what the Holy Spirit does? This is Jesus' description of what he does. And so then we have the Holy Spirit coming. Jesus leaves, Acts 2. The Holy Spirit comes down. He fills the believers that are in the upper room, they come out, they are speaking in tongues. And they're speaking in languages of the day and the people are getting saved 3,000 people get saved in one day It was a great meeting But then as the spirit-filled believers they begin to to just practically live for the Lord and begin to Spread the good news Ephesians 5 and I want you to look at this passage of here's what Paul says And I'm just gonna briefly mention he said but don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Greek word, the implication is that you're continually being filled. That Allowing the Holy Spirit to pour into your life every day, that's why we need daily fellowship with Him. Just like we need daily fellowship in our relationship with Christ, we need a daily infilling of the Holy Spirit. When we accept Christ, His Spirit dwells in us, yes, but we need a daily, in filling, and we need to ask Him, fill me today. Give me fresh oil today. Fresh oil to live, to be empowered to live for you. Ask Him to fill you. Ask Him to baptize you fresh every day, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be immersed into the presence of of Jesus, to be immersed in the presence of God. His chief purpose is that we become more like Christ. He's gonna lead us into truth. That's why the gifts do not prove that we are truly filled with the Spirit. They don't, that's a biblical concept. That's a biblical idea. The gifts do not prove that we are filled with the Spirit. Speaking in tongues does not prove that we are filled with the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit prove that we are filled with the Spirit. The gifts come to edify, to build up the kingdom of God. We need the gifts. We're told to desire the gifts paul said that in first corinthians 14:1, he said pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. but the spiritual gifts are to build up others but that's why people can walk in gifts and they can be far away from god they're not really truly filled with the spirit because the gifts of god are without repentance that's why the tragic story that we've seen unfold is how ministers can get up in a pulpit and they can preach the house down such as the case was one of our pastors When we were first married, the guy could preach like nobody's business, preach, I mean, he was a Holy Ghost Pentecostal preacher from, I mean, he, it kind of like, you know, shucking the corn kind of preacher, and people were getting saved coming to the altar, and then it came out that he was in a one-year affair to a lady that he was counseling. But every week, getting up and preaching the house down, people responding to the Lord. And so I, I, remember, I remember having a hard time with that. Like, how does he do that? Because the gifts of God are without repentance. God still loves people, and God can still work through a broken vessel, but you know, this guy should have not even been in behind the pulpit. But sometimes we elevate his giftedness above the fruit, and he's really not filled. That's why Jesus says, and I'm going to be talking about this in a few months from now, because God's developing a message in my heart that is just burning in me. But Jesus said in Matthew 7, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons, prophesy? These are, spiritual, these, are these are things that you would think that somebody is filled with the Spirit. Speaking, you know, speaking prophecies, have doing miracles and casting out demons, and Jesus is going to say, away with you. I never knew you. Because you, you weren't really filled. You, were, you, you had gifts in operation, but you were doing it for the wrong reason. That's why we the, day, the, 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 the proof that we were with the Holy Spirit is that he's testifying of the truth. And we are having Jesus in operation. We, and he's pointing us to the truth, pointing us to Christ every day. And we are Christ-like with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and meekness and long-suffering and self-control. Because you cannot counterfeit that. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us to make us more like Christ, to enable us and empower us to live like Jesus. That's why He said that He will testify of the truth. And that when Jesus in John eight thirty two said, "You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." You want to get free from sin? Be filled with the Holy Spirit, because He's going to testify of Jesus all the time. And so, being infilled, being baptized, immersed in His presence, is He's going to make us more like Christ, and He's going to testify of Jesus man. The first way we subdue it, Master, is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two is the Word of God. I've shared this before, but I want to uh, give some passages about the power of the Word of God and its effect in our lives if we apply it. Notice it's not just head knowledge, but transformational knowledge. It's not just A group of words that we can just get in our heads but it's 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 hiding it in our hearts that's why i encourage people to pray the word and pray with the word when you read the word what is it saying and god help me to do that help me to live that way holy spirit help me to live that way i'm going to go through these quickly but psalm 119 9. how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word Young people, if you're dealing with purity issues, I encourage you, get in the Word of God. And as you're in the Word of God, ask the Holy Spirit to make it come alive to you. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not, and here's the, sin against you. And there again, that's more than just hiding information in our heads, that it's hiding it in our hearts. Isaiah 66 talks about trembling at the Word of the Lord. Psalm 119.105, one of my favorite ones, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And it guides us. Do we really believe these passages about the Word of God? Do we live like we believe it? Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is alive. It's active, it's powerful, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Do you see the power and the implication it has against our sin? It's powerful, it is alive. Here's what Paul tells Timothy, all scripture, all of it is God breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training us in righteousness so that the servant of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work may we hide the word of god in our hearts second timothy 4:2, what paul tells timothy preach the word preach the word the word is so important Why is it so important? Jesus called him, that's another thing that he called himself was I am the living word. The more you know the word, the more you'll know him. Even when you read those obscure passages and sometimes you don't get much out of them. When you read Leviticus and it gives you a headache. Here's Here's what I get out of Leviticus. Thank you God that through Jesus I don't have to follow the law. Because without Jesus, you've got to to live according to all of that to be righteous. And we're all done. Jesus fulfilled the law. But the Spirit of God works with the Word to make us more like Jesus. That's why we need them both. Number three, how to subdue the sin. True, godly, biblical relationships and accountability. That's why I'm making a distinction. Sometimes it's it's more than just having friends that encourage you. Sometimes we have friends that enable us, you know, friends that maybe not, won't tell us the truth. That's why with true, godly, biblical relationships and accountability, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, it talks about don't forsake coming together, the assembling. This is important, coming together. This is hugely important to our walk with Christianity. This is how relationships are built. Don't forsake it. The writer says that. Don't forsake assembling together. Would it be easier some days to stay home? Absolutely. I want to stay home on Sunday mornings, but I probably shouldn't. It's like the guy that didn't want to you know, get up and his wife says, you've got to go to church, and I don't want to go to church. You've got to go to church. He said, they're all mean to me. You've got to go to church. I want to just sleep in. You've got to go to church. You're the pastor. But we need each other. We need to come together. We need godly relationships. We need accountability. We need to allow people to speak into our lives. We need to not be offended when somebody does speak into our lives. But this is the church gathering. Guys, this is men's group. Ladies, the ladies group, the ladies conferences, young people. Come to youth group. Folks, get your kids into Awana. It's phenomenal. But isolation is is one of the traps of the enemy to take us out. It's to get us away from the body of Christ, to get us away. And there we start, you know, we, we get out there. We all know how that is. And you believe things and you start listening to what the enemy says. And it's not too long where we've gone off the deep end. And then lastly is this, through relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Word... That's why I put all those things before. Do whatever it takes to strip off the sin and subdue it. That's why the the others are so important as our base. It's because through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Word, through godly relationships, then we have have the strength and the power to do what it takes. And it's out of those places that we're empowered through love to overcome. Again, it goes back to love. Why Why does Jesus want us to be so harsh with our sin is because he deeply, deeply loves us. And when we really get a hold of what he feels for us, it'll change us, transform our hearts. And then all of a sudden it's, I want to get away from that thing that's tangling my feet, making me fall. But we can't do it by just willpower or self-help. There's no way that'll happen. Paul reveals in Romans Romans 7, I'm going to just talk a little bit about this, but listen to what Paul says. Romans 7, he's talking about that the law is good because it reveals how much we need Jesus. See if you can relate to Paul. A lot of you are familiar with this passage, but see if you can relate to him a little bit. We know that the law is spiritual, this is Romans 7, 14, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. This is the Apostle Paul, chief apostle. I do not understand what I do, for what I wanna do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not wanna do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Can I get a witness, somebody? For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep doing. It's like a tongue twister, so I have to make sure I'm finding myself. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it so I find this law at work. Although I wanna do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. So he's saying deep down inside, I really do wanna do what's right. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's interesting. That's right at the end of Romans 7. You know what Romans 8, 1 says. For you, Scripture memory. I was... It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying, you know, I really want to do right, but I don't. I know I need to do this but I can't and if it's just out of willpower and me getting strong enough to do it there's no way I'm never going to do it and so he just kind of collapses in this place of unconditional surrender and says who can help me it's Jesus because he's paid it all people he went to the cross for us to pay our price for us to give us freedom from sin and then he says, when we catch that, there's no condemnation. Then you don't have to worry about the guilt and shame. You're in Christ, and you have freedom. And the key is being in Christ. So I'm closing with this. Matthew 5, you see that passage up there. And this is where I, what I mean, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Word, through relationships, do whatever it takes. Here's what Jesus says in matthew 5 you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery but i tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart then listen what jesus says this graphic description of what he's saying if your right eye causes you to stumble gouge it out and throw it away it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. What is he saying? Why this graphic language? Because he's saying what the writer of Hebrews is saying, strip off the sin that so easily entangles you. Strip off that stuff that hinders God's purpose and passion for your life. And he's saying what his father told Cain, you've got to subdue it. You've got to become master over it. Because if you don't, it will be right at the door. Sin will be right at the door, and it's there to take you out. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, get drastic with your sin. Don't make excuses for it. now is he literally saying go gouge your eye out no jesus is not talking about self-inflicted wounds but he's saying in light of what sin wants to what the enemy wants to take from you your purposes and your destiny whatever it takes be drastic with it get rid of it cut it off do whatever it takes because you can hear his heart cry. This has eternal ramifications on it. Your destiny is hanging in the balance. Your eternity is hanging in the balance. Your promises from God are hanging in the balance. And again, I want to remind us that we can look at sometimes the big overt sins. And we can say, yeah, you know, yeah, if somebody, boy, if they, if they have a lust problem or if they're, you know, if they've, if they've abused somebody, boy, they really need to get... He's not just talking about those big overt sins, the biggies, that we like to compare and say, well, at least I didn't do that. We, he... Gossip, anger, complaining, jealousy, backbiting. He's talking about all of these. He said all of those, those two will negatively affect God's promise and plan for your life. So whatever it is, get drastic with it. I want to show you a clip from the movie Fireproof that kind of illustrates this. And uh, if, if you're not familiar with this, you know, this is a, a movie about a marriage that was on the verge of just complete ruin. And the guy is trying to win his wife back and uh, and he's gone through a lot. He has dealt with lust and, and, and he's dealing with a lot of things and he's given his life to Christ, but he's still fighting the battle. His, his wife is just still not so excited about the things that he's trying to do to win her. But he's accepted Christ, and now he comes to a moment that is very pivotal. So I want you guys to watch this, and then we'll close. Day 23. Watch out for parasites. A parasite is anything that latches onto you or your partner and sucks the life out of your marriage. They're usually in the form of addictions like gambling, drugs, or pornography. They promise pleasure, but grow like a disease and consume more and more of your thoughts, time, and money. They steal away your loyalty and heart from those you love. Marriages rarely survive if parasites are present. If you love your wife, You must destroy any addiction that has your heart. If you don't, it will destroy you. Okay, Lord, no more addictions. Mr. Rudolph? Caleb? You doing okay today? No, not really. (laughs) Irma, I don't want you talking to that guy. He is weird. (laughs) Takes one to know one. I'm not necessarily saying that you have to go home and do that to your computer. But I am saying that's what Jesus meant by saying if your right hand offends you, cut it off, do whatever it takes. God has a plan for us. See his, see his plan for us through, through his great love for us. And again, it shouldn't drive you to that guilt and condemnation, but out of love, God, I want to do whatever it takes. Be drastic with sin. I want, I want to show you in the last, the, the, my last slide here is what Jesus, this was his response to our sin. because at the beginning I talked about Isaiah 59 where it says our sin separates us from God this was God's drastic move against our sin he separated himself temporarily from his son and he hung him on the cross and that was for you and me that was out of his love for us that his drastic display of love he did whatever it took to win us and now he's saying Will you do whatever it takes to walk in everything that I have for you? He who became no sin, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. So my encouragement this morning is to keep fighting the fight. Jesus was drastic for us. His love was intense. And that's the demonstration of his love for us. Let's pray. I going to open up the front here in this morning and'm uh, just going to open up a time for you to be alone with God after I pray if you need to go, I understand that, but uh, I just want to want you to not lose the, the power of the moment that, that, that we have here to simply do some business with God. So Father, right now in Jesus name, Lord, I, I thank you that you're here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're moving, that you are touching. And Lord, you have spoken to our hearts today, Lord, and we want to respond back to you, God, with, out of love, saying, God, help us. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need your power. We need the power of the word. We need godly relationships. Lord, we need to do whatever it takes. Lord, we want to subdue the sin. We want to be master over it. We want to strip it aside. And we want to run the race. And we want to finish well. So this morning, I want to ask, first of all, if you're here today and there's just something specific, you, you know God is speaking to your heart today, that there's something you're wrestling with, and you know it's, it's very real. Maybe it's a sin issue that you've been fighting for many years, maybe it's something recent, but, but there's just something that the Lord is speaking to your heart and you say, you know what, I need to get that right with God today. Would you raise your hand? Just be bold, be confident, it's all right. There's no shame, there's no condemnation. Thank you. I just wanna pray for those right now. Father, you see the hands that went up. I pray God, your courage, your peace, your hope, Lord, I pray that they would see this message through the lens of love. That Lord, you care so deeply about them. Lord, I pray for freedom. Lord, I pray, God, that they would be empowered to be able to now do whatever it takes to walk in freedom. Lord, you do come, but then you tell us now, subdue it. Master it. Lord, I pray for courage. I pray for your strength in them each and every day, Lord, as they get up tomorrow morning and they go about their day. Lord, God, I pray freedom and strength. God, I pray that for all of us. God, we need you every single day. And so, Lord, today we give you our hearts. And, God, as we spend this next little while, Lord God, whatever, we just we give it to you, God. We ask that you would touch us, change us, transform us to become more and more like Jesus. Lord, for those who have to go right away, God, bless them, touch them, bless our week this week, God, and help us to walk with courage, help us to fix our eyes on you every day, in Jesus' name, amen.